Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, France 24, NHK World Radio Japan, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. French President Macron visited the South Pacific to reestablish political influence in the region. The United States announced a $345 million package of weapons, including missiles and military trainers, to Taiwan. United Nations Secretary General Guterres said the era of global boiling has begun. The World Meteorological Organization's representative to the UN explains. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. French President Emmanuel Macron is visiting the South Pacific. The island nations located between the U.S., China and Australia are taking on major strategic importance for security and defense. The U.S. has long held sway in the region, but China is seeking to build influence there. And now France wants to offer its own alternative in the Pacific region. French President Emmanuel Macron, seen here visiting Papua New Guinea, wants to carve out a more significant role for France in global competition between the U.S. and China in the South Pacific. The island nations, sparsely populated atolls, and volcanic archipelagos of the region have become a geopolitical flashpoint. On an earlier visit to Vanuatu, without naming China, Macron warned of the threat to sovereignty of smallest states amid the US-China power struggle. The global order is completely disturbed by the willingness of new imperial powers jeopardizing this rule-based order. And this new imperialism is the basis of a new colonialism, let's be clear. And the French strategy is clearly to build with you the defense of this liberty of sovereignty in the region. The US and Australia have long held sway in the region, but over the last decade China has carefully built up ties. The West was rattled last year when Solomon Islands signed a security pact with China. There were concerns Beijing was building its first military base in the area. It could use this to press its sweeping contested claims over the South China Sea. This month, Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasse Sogavare travelled to Beijing to open its embassy in China, four years after the two countries established diplomatic relations. Macron relaunched France's Indo-Pacific strategy against a backdrop of divisions among the Western allies. In 2021, there was a bitter row over a cancelled submarine contract with Australia. Canberra opted for the so-called AUKUS subs through a partnership between Australia, the UK and the US. 
The US has ramped up regional diplomacy while beefing up its defence alliances. Washington and Canberra are participating in the largest ever Australia-US military exercise, Talisman Sabre. France will also take part in the drills. US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken opened a new embassy in Tonga. In February, the US reopened its embassy in Solomon Islands after 30 years and has plans to open missions in Vanuatu and Kiribati. Two days after Blinken left Tonga, the Chinese Peace Arc hospital ship docked there, offering free health services. The scramble for the South Pacific is picking up pace. The United States has announced a $345 million in aid package for Taiwan. It's the first major package from the Biden administration drawing on stockpiles of its own weapons for Taiwan. The U.S. will send air defense systems, firearms and missiles. The package also includes training for the Taiwanese military. Taipei says the U.S. aid will be an important step in its defenses against China. Beijing has criticized the deal. China sees Taiwan as a breakaway province, which is part of U.S. territory, uh, of its territory, rather. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has issued another stark warning on climate change, saying the era of global boiling has begun. The UN's World Meteorological Organization is predicting this month will be the hottest in human history. Mr. Guterres has described the current intense heat in the Northern Hemisphere as a cruel summer. According to the data released today, July has already seen the hottest three-week period ever recorded, the three hottest days on record, and the highest ever ocean temperatures for this time of year. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. Laura Patterson is a meteorologist who also happens to be the World Meteorological Organization representative and coordinator to the UN. Welcome to DW. Um, is that hyperbole from Mr. Guterres? What does that mean, global boiling? Well, it's it's the truth is in the data. Um, you know, this is the by by far the hottest month that we've ever seen on record. The even fact that we could speak about this so confidently as the scientific community today before even the end of the month is really an indication of, of how much warmer it's already been. Um, the, the the data set that this depends on actually shows that the 21 hottest days ever recorded have all taken place this month. So it really is quite exceptional. And do these record-breaking temperatures mean things are worse than we thought they would be? Or is this what you'd have expected from uh, climate change going unchecked? This this is consistent with what predictions have been have been showing for some time. Um, so, as the scientists have been saying for many decades, um, increasing the greenhouse gas and gases in the atmosphere will increase our global temperatures. Um, this year, in particular, because we've now also got the um, the start of an El Nino, that gives an extra boost to global temperatures, and the combination of those two has resulted in this really exceptional month. So, I think it's it's fully aligned with. with with what the scientists have been warning. Okay, so I was, try I was trying to work out how worried I should be. So this is predictably worrying rather than, oh my goodness, this wasn't what we were expecting. Um, so does this mean that climate change is now beyond us? Is it out of control? 
Well, I think we're, we're definitely not on the trajectory that we need to be. So if that's how you define out of control, you know, we've countries have agreed to go on a certain path and we're really, you know, we're not following that path at all. Um, we are continuing to increase the, um, the concentrations of greenhouse gases, you know, year on year. And as a result, we're seeing the, the planet warming um, as, as to be expected. But that's not to mean that it's not worrying it, um, you know, as, as scientists have been calling for for many years. This is really concerning and it is continuing to happen unabated. Okay, so, and just, just draw us a line then between the, the, this warming by a couple of degrees around the globe and the, the devastating heat waves and wildfires that we're seeing at the moment and that we're seeing so much more frequently these days. Yeah, so as, as the average um, temperatures go up, um, it means that you're basically just moving up the baseline. So the most extreme um, hot weather that we ever used to expect is now becoming sort of more, you know, more frequent. Um, and the exact, the, the, the highest peak of temperatures that we can expect is now higher than it used to be before, you know, the average temperature increased. So definitely as, as the average increases, we can continue to expect to see more of these extreme heat um, conditions. Um, obviously, there's you know been been many recorded over the past over the past week even and um, across North America, Europe, and Asia. Um, the increase in in temperature also means that the atmosphere can hold more water, so we can expect to see in increased um, levels of flooding as well. Um, the heat also obviously exacerbates drought, so I think we can continue really to expect to see um, the same you know the same as what we're seeing now is going to be what we're going to see more of in the future. And if we continue to warm, we'll see even more extremes. Okay, thank you. Well, it's, uh, at least you'll keep plugging away at that message and we hope that uh, eventually it will get heard. Uh, Laura Patterson from the World Meteorological Organization, thank you. That report was from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary, also available at most podcast sites. Next, France 24. Russian President Putin hosted African leaders to a summit in Russia. They discussed the leaders' proposal to end the war in Ukraine and support. Earth reached overshoot day on August 2nd, when humans have used up all the resources that the planet can regenerate in a complete year. France 24. Now, the Russian president hosted African leaders for the second day of the Russia-Africa summit in St. Petersburg. Vladimir Putin told the various heads of state gathered that their plan to bring about an end to the war in Ukraine will be carefully examined. Putin added that while Moscow is ready for talks, dialogue is needed from the other side. For more on the summit, here's Caroline Demay reporting from St. Petersburg. It was a very interesting uh, plenary ses session this morning, uh, like a round table with President Putin and the head of state, the African head of state. And in that, uh, in his first statement, he did reiterate all his promises regarding, you know, his general cooperation, uh, the grain, of course, and also uh, the the cooperation, the military cooperation. He did uh, say that yes, they are uh, going to sell weapons to Africa, and this is uh, 
just uh, because uh, these African states need to be protected and they need to protect their own sovereignty. So uh, after uh, this statement from President Putin, the, the president of the African Union, uh, the Comorian president, uh, Azali Asoumani, uh, did uh, mention Niger in a way. He said that uh, he's really expecting uh, his partner uh, to uh, condemn any anti-constitutional change in Africa. That's a word he used. So it's an, basically an unveiled, a veiled reference to, uh, to the coup in Niger. And then every single African head of state uh, does did their statement. And let's just uh, spot on a, a very strong one, uh, the one uh, from uh, President uh, Captain Traoré uh, of Burkina Faso. Uh, he had a very strong message. He said that he was actually carrying the message message of the young African generation, a message where uh, young Africans don't understand why the continent is so uh, rich and they are actually so poor and why head of state, African head of state, have got to go around the world just to beg, to beg, that's a word he uses. And he, he, he kind of said that uh, he, he, he trusted uh, Russia uh, for a new, uh, a new future for Africa and that he actually uh, feels very comfortable, uh, he feels like he's amongst family. That way his word and his statement was actually applauded by President Vladimir Putin. Humanity has burned through Earth's annual budget for resources in under eight months. Known as Earth Overshoot Day to the 2nd of August marks the date on which we've used up all the resources that the planet can regenerate already in one year. Uh, but there is good news as we've used our annual budget roughly five days later then in 2022. To tell us more, I was earlier joined by François Gemmen, researcher for the National Fund for Scientific Research. Well, basically, we're consuming way too many resources, uh, many more resources than the Earth can actually provide in one year, which means that if we continue living this way, we will not be able to keep the Earth uninhabitable in the long run. Uh, if we want to see the glass half full, we can say that we've managed to stabilize this day over the past few years. If we want to see the glass half empty, uh, we need to remember that this day ideally should be December 31st and not August 2nd. Right now, and probably the most urgent thing is to move out of fossil fuels. Fossil fuels today continue to represent about 85% of our uh, energy budget, that is, of the total of the energy that we produce on a daily basis. And this is clearly what is leading the world towards a climate change above two degrees by the end of the century. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English and most major podcast sites. On to NHK World Radio Japan. Like most countries in the Northern Hemisphere, Japan broke all records for heat in July. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak granted more than 100 new licenses for oil and gas extraction in the North Sea. The first new American nuclear power plant went online in Georgia seven years later and costing $17 billion more than expected. 
A Japanese power firm has met opposition to building a storage facility for spent fuel rods. At the United Nations Conference on Disarmament, participants argued for the elimination of nuclear weapons. NHK Japan It's been a sweltering summer for much of the Northern Hemisphere, and Japan is no exception. Last month was the hottest July since officials began keeping records 125 years ago. The average across the country was almost 2 degrees Celsius above the usual temperatures. Most places saw the mercury hover around 35. Last Thursday, part of Osaka Prefecture hit 39.8 degrees Celsius, Japan's hottest day so far this year. It's taking a toll on the most vulnerable. Hot weather sent over 11,000 people to hospital with heat stroke last week and killed at least 18. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is defending the controversial decision to grant hundreds of new licenses for oil and gas extraction in the North Sea. He says his government remains committed to achieving net zero emissions within a few decades. We are still going to need oil and gas. 25% of our energy will come from oil and gas, even in 2050. Far better that we get that from here at home. Better for the economy, better for our energy security, better for jobs, and better for climate emissions, rather than shipping it here from halfway around the country. Sunak announced Monday more than 100 licenses will be given to energy firms this fall, with more to be granted later. It's part of efforts to become more energy independent. Sunak also pledged investments in a carbon capture and underground storage project. Opposition parties and environmental groups say the government's announcement contradicts the country's fight against global warming. They are calling for more investment in clean energy projects. The first American nuclear power plant to be built from scratch in decades has begun commercial operations. Georgia Power says Unit 3 of its plant Vogel began sending electricity to the grid this week. The utility says the pressurized water reactor made by Westinghouse Electric Company can power an estimated 500,000 homes and businesses and will provide clean and reliable energy for the next 60 to 80 years. The plant took seven years longer than expected to complete and finished $17 billion over budget. It is the first facility to be built from scratch since Three Mile Island nuclear disaster in 1979. The partial nuclear meltdown was the worst commercial nuclear power accident in U.S. history. Nuclear energy provides about 20% of power generation in the United States. A remote town in western Japan is considering an offer from Japanese power firm Chugoku Electric. The company is looking for a new home for spent nuclear fuel rods. It could lead to lucrative subsidies from Japan's central government, but some residents aren't happy. A group of locals tried to block utility officials from entering Kaminoseki Town Hall on Wednesday. Police had to be deployed. Demonstrators accused the company of trying to build a dangerous facility in their town. Chugoku Electric is already planning to construct a nuclear power plant in the area. The spent nuclear fuel storage would be an addition. If the town gives approval, the company will begin surveys with another power giant, Kansai Electric. 
Kaminoseki Mayor Nishi Tetsuo says the town assembly still needs to discuss the plan. He says he hopes to gain the understanding of residents if it gets the green light. Japan's nuclear industry is running out of storage space. Spent fuel rods are kept in so-called pools, but construction delays at a facility in northern Aomori Prefecture have had a cascade effect. Chugoku Electric's partner, Kansai Electric, has been hit hard. It says its pools for spent nuclear fuel are now over 80% capacity. Delegates to a United Nations conference on disarmament are sharing their views on nuclear weapons, past and present. They've criticized Russian leaders for threatening to use them on their enemies. And their arguments have been amplified by those who live with reminders of the horrors all around them. The delegates are preparing for a review in 2026 of the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. Many have pushed for more deterrence, demanding that atomic bombs never be used again. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan, now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times they announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or want to support this listener-funded program, as a listener in Willits, California did this week, contact information is available at outfarpress.com or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production of this show, which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations across the globe. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Australian politicians are continuing their call for the release of Julian Assange. The United States continues plans to auction off the Venezuelan state-owned oil company Sitgo to a U.S.-Israeli firm, Delic Holdings, which have ties to Juan Guaido. Oliver Stone criticized the U.S. involvement in the Ukraine war on a podcast with Russell Brand. Radio Havana, Cuba. Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong said over the weekend that the long-running case of imprisoned WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has gone on too long and needs to be completed. Julian Assange, an Australian citizen being held in Britain, is battling extradition to the United States where he's wanted on 18 charges over the release of confidential U.S. military records and diplomatic cables in 2010. At a press conference in Brisbane after an Australia-U.S. meeting, Wong said, quote, Canberra has made it clear that Mr. Assange's case is dragged on for too long, and our desire is that it be brought to a conclusion. Speaking alongside Defence Minister Richard Miles, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin, Wong said representations had been made on behalf of Assange in public and private, but there were limits on what could be done until his legal proceedings were concluded. 
Quote, I understand that Mr. Assange has filed a renewal of appeal application in the UK. The Australian government is not party to these legal proceedings, nor can we intervene, she said. Blinken confirmed that Assange's case has been raised in the bilateral talks, saying he understood the views of Australians on the sensitive issue. Quote, Mr. Assange was charged with very serious criminal conduct in the United States in connection with his alleged role in one of the largest compromises of classified information in the history of our country, Blinken told the news conference. Quote, the actions that he has alleged to have committed risk very serious harm to our national security. Australia is backing a drive for Mr. Assange's release ahead of his possible extradition to the United States. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said in May he was, quote, frustrated over the ongoing detention. Venezuela National Assembly President Jorge Rodriguez has announced that the U.S. government continues to promote the auction of the Venezuelan state company CITDO Petroleum, a subsidiary of the state oil company PDVSA. This illegal auction seeks to sell CITDO to a U.S.-Israeli firm whose main manager has ties to former Congressman Juan Guaido. During a parliamentary session, Rodriguez specified that it is a company Deleg Holdings and assured that there is evidence that the sale of CITDO responds to a plan hatched by Guaido and former U.S. President Donald Trump. The Venezuelan legislator affirmed that the action constitutes a farce through which Guaido and his allies seek to appropriate over $15 billion in assets under the excuse of paying a debt of $1.4 billion to the Crystal X company. In all the courts to which Venezuela has had access, the alleged debt with Crystal X has been denounced, which does not even belong to Crystal X because the alleged debt was bought by some vulture funds. Rodriguez said, adding that the actually existing debt is equivalent to less than $2 million. U.S. President Joe Biden is following a suicidal course in Ukraine and may drag the U.S. stupidly into a confrontation with Russia, acclaimed director Oliver Stone said during a recent podcast appearance. Speaking on an episode of British commentator Russell Brunt's Stay Free podcast released on Friday, Stone blamed the conflict in Ukraine on the neoconservative movement who started the war in Iraq and who still occupy prominent positions in Biden's government. Quote, Biden is an old Cold Warrior and he really hates the old Soviet Union, which he confounds again with the Russian Federation, which is not communist. Stone continued, quote, it seems that he's dragging us stupidly into a confrontation with a power that is not going to give. This is Russia's borders. This is their world. This is NATO going into Ukraine. This is a whole another story. Stone revealed that he voted for Biden in 2020, a decision that he now considers a mistake. Quote, I was thinking he was an old man now that he would calm down, that he would be mellow and so forth, Stone said, adding that he now sees, quote, a man who maybe is not in charge of his own administration. Who knows? Back in 2016, Stone produced a documentary, Ukraine on Fire, explaining the role of the U.S. in the 2014 overthrow of Ukraine's democratically elected president, Viktor Yanukovych. Stone has repeatedly expressed this sentiment in the years since Ukraine on Fire was re released. Quote, since 2014, Ukraine was no longer neutral but anti-Russian, and that's what disrupted the balance, he told the Serbian Daily Politica in December, adding that, quote, every war has causes and consequences.
Now, Stone was a vocal critic of former President Donald Trump and voted for his Democratic opponent in 2020. His views on the Ukraine conflict aligned with Trump's. The former president and the 2024 Republican frontrunner has also named the same neoconservatives as key architects of the conflict while accusing Biden of dragging the U.S. into a third world war. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, but there's no podcasts. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, radiohc.cu, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You do have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm still recuperating from spinal surgery, and I'm staying in a house that's connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.